The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Now let me alert you. You need to have your Bibles ready this morning. We're almost back to a youth group sword drill today. So I want you to have your Bibles ready. And if you would now turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at four other texts this morning, but we'll start with 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. Now, one other little word. Uh, we are at the 19th sermon in the series on the Apostles' Creed, the essentials of the faith. And um, I just am convicted there's no way that I can finish a series of sermons on the number 19. That just sounds unholy to me. And so we're going to have another sermon. But that's okay, because I'm not finished with the Apostles' Creed. We're looking at the last affirmation this morning, life everlasting. And then there's another word in the Apostles' Creed. Thank you, honey. Uh, do you all know that word? Try it. Very good. Now the rest of you try it. Amen. Right? Why is that word there? And we're going to use it. Uh, and we're going to take a look at it next week. I'm really looking forward to that. I also want to remind you that next week is Advent Sunday. And we have provided for you, uh, as, as we do each year, access to an Advent reading for you and your families from Sinclair Ferguson. Love came down at Christmas. It's available through our bookstore. You can get it and use it for your Advent um, devotionals as a family uh, as we go through the Advent season. Now, my series is on the kings of Christmas. And you say, well, Harry, if you're going to use next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, you're going to preach on the Apostles' Creed. That's right, because I love it when a plan comes together. Actually, I only have four sermons. Um, there are four Sundays of Advent and Christ Sunday, but I only have four Sundays. I've got uh, the three kings. I've got Caesar Augustus. I've got Herod the Great. And then I got the King of Kings. So thankfully, I have a sermon for the first Sunday of Advent, which will be the last sermon in the Apostles' Creed. Did you all follow that? You got that? Okay. That'll be next Sunday, and I look forward to being there with you. Look with me in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and don't forget you can get your Advent devotional through the bookstore this week. Verse, 1 John 5:11. And this is the testimony that God, underline, gave us eternal life, and this life, underline, is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, folks, you can't get any clearer than this. If you have the Son, what do you have? Life. If you don't have the Son, what do you have? You don't have life. It means you have God's eternal judgment for all eternity. Instead of everlasting life, everlasting judgment. And then he says, And I write these things to you who believe... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, 
Underlined that you might know that you have eternal life. Not only does he tell us everlasting life is in Christ. Not only does he tell us if you have Christ, you have life. But he also tells us you can be assured and know before you get to eternity, you have life. Let's look at that this morning. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Everlasting life. Pastor, wait just a minute. Wait, wait, wait just a minute, Pastor. I think I read somewhere that every major religion, all the major religions, have teaching and a doctrine on eternal life. Isn't that true, Pastor? Yes. But let me tell you something else that's true. Only Christianity reveals the truth that everlasting life will be enjoyed with an everlasting body in an everlasting new heavens and new earth for all who have Christ and are forgiven of their sins. All those other religions... The body is looked at as a vehicle in a prison. Everlasting life is deliverance from the body, escape from the body. That's why they burn bodies. Because it's evil, it's bad, get rid of it. But Christianity says eternal life will be a body and soul experience. A perfected soul and glorified body. And it won't be in heaven. It'll be in the new heavens and the new earth. And those who will enjoy it will enjoy it because they have come to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. None of those religions have any way to deal with sin. In fact, most deny it. They have no way to deal with sin nor its consequences of shame and guilt. Christianity says shame and guilt can be sent away. And your sins be forgiven. Remission. Christianity then says, for those who have forgiveness of sins, God is going to raise your body. And it will be joined to your perfected soul. And you will be placed in this heavens and earth that have been rolled up and rolled back out as a new heavens and a new earth. That's what the Bible says. Now, That immediately awakens a lot of questions. I know it did for me when I was four years old. We lived on Dixie Road. Today, Dixie Road is one of the runways in the the Charlotte International Airport. But then it was Dixie Road, and that's where I lived. And that's where we enjoyed our wonderful um, couple of months, a year or so of my childhood. My family was not the the most well-off, so there were times when parents and grandparents lived together. So we were living with our grandparents there, and my grandfather somehow secured my very first dog. And I had a dog, and that dog, um, which I still to this day love, was Prince. He was a collie. Just majestic collie. I played with him every afternoon. We had pine trees all around us. I played every afternoon, and then we would both 
be exhausted. I, I exhausted him. He exhausted me. Then we would lay down in the backyard and I'd put my head on his uh, stomach and his breathing would just put me right to sleep. And that's where I took my nap in the afternoon when Prince died. My question to my mother was, Mom, will Prince be in heaven? Will Prince be in heaven? And then came my childish, childish remark. Mom, listen, if Prince isn't in heaven, then I don't want to go to heaven. Of course, I look back on that now and say, my goodness, that was childish. But let me just say, there's a lot of things right now we begin to think about what we think makes heaven heaven. And when we get there, we're going to look back and see that's pretty childish. That's what we'll see. But my mom, like our God, (laughs) reflected our God. She was very patient with me. She did not chide me. What she said to me was, son, here's what I can assure you. Everything that will be needed in heaven for God to be glorified and you to be satisfied will be there. Everything that is needed in heaven for God to be glorified and for you to be satisfied will be there. But when you die, where do you go? And where will we finally go. All of those major religions have no answer to sin. It's guilt and it's shame. There are so many times, not many times, there have been a number of times where I've shared with people about eternal life in Christ. And finally, as we go around and around and around, avoiding commitment and repentance and faith, I'll just ask them, so what are you going to do about your guilt and shame? Oh, I don't have any. Oh, give me two more questions. I'll, I'll surface it for you. I'll surface it for you, what, where it comes from and how it is there. What are you going to do about it? It is only the living God who through his son Jesus and an atoning death has secured forgiveness of sins. And, and... Our salvation isn't escape from the body. Our salvation is deliverance from our sin. And then the glories will be just as God made us with a body and soul in a heaven and earth to enjoy fellowship with him. And now that the curse is removed, then we will have a body and soul to enjoy him in a new heavens and new earth. And it will be restored through the redeeming work of Christ. And of course, our questions are myriad, aren't they? Well, you know, Prince, forget Prince. That's Harry's problem. Will my dog be there? What about, what about animals? Will there be animals in the new heavens and the new earth? Will there be, um, uh, I'll tell you, will, there, uh, will we know each other? Will we be able to talk to each other? I mean, what, what will it be like? What will be our relationship? What's that new city look like, that crystal sea? We've got myriads of varied and intriguing questions. And I would love to answer every single one of them for you. So I'm going to give you three pastoral suggestions to start answering your questions. You ready? You ready? Hello. Y'all still awake? Okay. You ready? Here we are. Number one, pastoral suggestions. There are three books I recommend on this subject. 
One is by, and I don't totally recommend everything in them, but I do recommend them. They're good books. One is by Randy Alcorn, and the book is Heaven. I recommend that one to you. Number two is Michael Rogers and his book, uh, If I Should Die. And uh, I recommend that one to you. Number three, I recommend to you a book that's out of print. You can get it on Amazon. And it's, it's by William Hendrickson, The Bible on the Life Ever on the life hereafter. The Bible on the life hereafter. Those are the three books I'd read. So that's one pastoral suggestion. Pastoral suggestion number two. Be patient. Because, y'all remember when we had to set aside Sunday evening worship in order to start accommodating COVID protocols? Y'all remember that? Does anyone remember what I was preaching on? If I should die. So... As we move back to our Sunday evening service, I'm going right back to that series. And we're going to deal right where I left off. What does the Bible say about heaven and the new heavens and the new earth? And what does the Bible say about hell? We're going to take a look at what the Bible says. So we'll migrate back to that as we are able and um, soon to initiate our Sunday evening worship. Number three, my third pastoral suggestion Hang with me for a few minutes. I'm going to walk you through this morning four texts that I think you're going to find helpful. And then I'm going to give you one takeaway. So I want you to hang with me to go through four texts of Scripture. And then we'll do a takeaway. But first of all, let me remind you of the Apostles' Creed. Remember it? That we've been walking through. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That was the first affirmation of God the Father, who is the creator of all. Then. I believe in God the Son. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified for our sins, was dead, and and then His body was buried. His soul went to Hades. And on the third day, His soul was brought forth from Hades, and then the body came out of the grave. On the third day, He arose. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of of God the Father, and from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now, what is Jesus doing between his ascension and his second coming in which he initiates a judgment to bring us into eternity, whether it is an eternal condemnation in hell or the eternal life of a new heavens and a new earth? What is happening? Well, what is happening is he has sent the Holy Spirit. Thus, the third paragraph of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now doing his work. Jesus, now watch, in his virgin birth, his suffering, his atoning death, his resurrection, Jesus has finished the work of redemption for his people. Now, he has sent the Holy Spirit from his ascension. He has sent the Holy Spirit to work on gathering and perfecting the redeemed. And the Holy Spirit's work is then put into two categories in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and first of all, the Holy Spirit's work in the church, and then secondly, the Holy Spirit's work in the Christian. In the church, he looks at the, the, the creed establishes the church in its two dynamics. One is the Holy 
Catholic Church. Remember, Catholic is not a noun for a um, is not a noun to uh, to identify a denomination. It's actually a transliteration of the two original Greek words, kataholy, Catholic, kataholy. It means the parts as a whole. That means the Holy Spirit is assuring and ensuring and securing all of the elect of God who will live forever in eternity. The church triumphant, the invisible, universal church triumphant that is perfect. There is it is perfectly made up of the elect of God. What did Jesus say? He said this. I he says, I of all that the father has given me, I lose not one. And that is what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is gathering the people of God into the church universal church triumphant. It is he is gathering us all and that church that is at rest triumphant from its labors enrolled in the general assembly, the congregation of heaven. The book of Revelation says that church is perfect and holy and triumphant. But until he comes, there is the church militant, the church that is doing the work of Christ The body of Christ, the bride of Christ that is doing the work of Christ until he comes indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that is the communion of saints. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. That's the church universal, perfect, triumphant and the church and the communion of saints. That's the people of God communion bound together by the word of God, bound together by the spirit of God, bound together by the commission of our savior. We are on mission, on message, in ministry, in communion. It is not a perfect church. There are false sons within its pales. It, 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 there are false teachers. It, it is a church that is in sanctification. The church triumphant is perfectly sanctified. The church in, in militant is on mission, on message, in ministry. It is imperfect. It is in progress of sanctification. But its communion is together by the Spirit of God, led by the Word of God, to the glory of God, for King Jesus, we are on message, that is to make disciples of all the nations, on message with the gospel of Christ and in ministry, on mission, on message and in ministry together. Then he turns the Holy Spirit's work in the Christian with three gospel blessings, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, let me remind you, everyone's going to get a resurrected body. But only those who are forgiven of their sins will have a resurrection body for life everlasting. Those who have embraced their sins and said no to Christ and yes to sin and self, they get a resurrected body. But it's for the lake of fire. One gets a resurrected body to enjoy everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. Those apart in their sins, not forgiven, but in their sins and under their dominion, then get the just judgment of God to be endured for all eternity. 
So what are these three blessings that we begin to look at? This forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and their termination into a destination of everlasting life. Well, I'm going to very quickly walk you through four texts of Scripture. But I want to walk you through first sharing something with you up front. So, there's so many times when I know what people are trying to do. And, I, of course, as a pastor, I'm, my heart's with them. But I kind of want to pull on their coat and say, that's not quite accurate. It's like when a loved one dies and they've suffered. And then they'll say, well, praise the Lord, they're breathing easier now. No, they're not. They will when they get a new body. But when they die, that body's going to the grave. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Well, they're dancing in heaven. No, they're not. That's not where they are. They're in heaven, but not with a body dancing. That's coming. Now, I can't even imagine me dancing in heaven, even with a new body. But I, I can do a Carolina shag, though. I can promise you that. But, but they're not dancing. That's not where, where are they? They're, they're passing into an intermediate state. The Bible calls it paradise. The Bible calls it Abraham's bosom. The Bible calls it heaven. Their soul or their body it leaves their body to be in the presence of Christ. Comforted with joy. Will we know one another there? Yes. But we don't have a body yet. We have a perfected soul. That which is made in the image of God, our soul, leaves our body. Our body is buried. That's where it is. It's buried until Jesus comes again. Then it will be raised. Then Body and soul united will be deposited in a new heavens and a new earth. That's the final state. But the intermediate state in which only those who are alive when Jesus comes back, the intermediate state is something every believer moves to through the door of death into, into that place of paradise. Is what Jesus told the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's what the Bible teaches us, is that our spirits go to be with the Lord. That's what, not our bodies yet, but our spirits go to be with the Lord. That's the intermediate state for a time until Christ comes. Harry, when's that? Well, when all of his elect have been saved and the gospel has been taken to all the nations, trumpet's going to blow, shout's going to be made, boom, he comes, bodies are raised, all united, and we'll be together with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. But until then, the work of the gospel is doing its work as men and women are being born again, brought into the kingdom of God, and when they die, when they die, the body goes to the grave with the sure and certain expectation of the resurrection. And then their spirit goes to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The body's not present. The body's in the grave. The soul present with the Lord. Folks, this I think very important to understand this because uh, then we can anticipate what all the Lord is going to do. So 
does this stand the test of scriptures and does it come from the scriptures? So I'm going to give you just four texts. I want to walk you through it and we'll do it fast. So you kind of hang with me. I want you to start with me with um, I want you to start with me with the first death of the first martyr in the Bible in the New Testament. His name was Stephen. Stephen was put to death for Christ and he gives us some insights. Let's see what he says. You see what I'm trying. Wait a minute before I do this. What I'm trying to do is to get you to understand your mama was right when she taught you your bedtime prayers. Do you remember it? Did your mama teach you the same prayer my mama taught me? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my to. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my to take. Now, he'll also take the body, but that'll come later. My soul to take. Mama was right. And I want to show you from the Bible that Mama was right. And what this means for us in terms of everlasting life. Look in, look in uh, if you would, with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Here is the death of Stephen, who is stoned to death as a martyr. If you ever get any time, please take the time to read his uh, his last words, his sermon that he preached before he died. Then as he got to the end of the sermon, this is what happens. Look with me in verse 54. Now, when they heard, that is, those surrounding him, Pharisees and those who had brought him to judgment, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. By the way, that's the same phrase that is stated about those who will be cast into hell. Weeping and grinding of teeth. That is not a statement of remorse. It's a statement of rage. There is the grinding of the teeth. They were grinding their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my, what? My spirit. Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, He fell asleep. Now, underline that asleep, what that means, that's a term to describe a believer's death. It's an attempt to give us a metaphor or a euphemism of Psalm 23 that we had at the beginning of the service. Remember that in Psalm 23 that we look at where we say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, death is a door that's a very hard door. To go through for an unbeliever. But for the believer, it swings open. And you never go through it alone. You go through it with the one who has conquered it. Sin, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus. 
That's why Paul, whenever he speaks of a believer dying, he looks for the euphemism. He's not teaching some exotic notion of soul sleep. What he's teaching is that the death of a believer is different because of the victory of Christ over death and the sting of death, which is sin. And that the fact that Christ goes with us in that day, the door swings open into everlasting life. And we go to be with him, and he actually goes with us through that door into his presence. Now, here's Saul standing there. You know what's going to happen to Saul? He's going to be on the road to Damascus. He's going to meet Jesus, and he's going to get converted. And Saul is going to become an apostle. And Saul is going to lead people to Christ. And then Saul is going to try to help these people understand what happens to them when they die. He had not only had the truth of God's word, he had already observed it in Stephen's life. So he begins to teach believers what happens when you die and Jesus has not yet come back. What happens when you die? And that's so he wants to start teaching us. Well, first of all, he teaches us right from his very own life. So take your take your Bibles. He teaches he teaches us from his very own life. Take your Bibles and go with me to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. So here's what he says. Look, slip down to verse twenty one. He's in jail. Possibility he may get put to death. So what does he say? He says this in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. To die is what? Gain. See, he's already he's going to go with me through that door. Not a hard door for me. It's a door to promotion. It's a door home. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, gain better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here's what he's saying. I've got a possible death sentence, and I don't know whether to cheer for death because then I depart. What is he talking about? He's not talking about his body. He's talking about his soul and his spirit, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The body, grave, spirit with the Lord. I don't know whether to depart and be with the Lord, because if I depart and my spirit leaves my body and I'm with the Lord, it's gain, profit, better. But I may cheer for the Lord to leave me here because... Somebody needs to care for you. And I'm available. And I'm willing to stay. I'm willing to choose what's not better, which is to stay here with you in order to serve the Lord in your life. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's the intermediate state. When Jesus comes back, that body will be raised. Then body and spirit will be with the Lord in a new heavens and a new earth. But when we die before Christ, we go to be with him in heaven, paradise, 
Abraham's bosom. We go to be with him in the intermediate state in our spirit and our soul. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you know those questions? Will we know people? Will we be able to talk with? Will we be able to speak with one another? Will we be able to uh, recognize one another? Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, God, let me ask you this question. God is a, what is God? He is a spirit. Y'all are supposed to answer. Your children know this from catechism. You should know it. God is a, does God know you? Does God speak to you through his word? Do you have a relationship with God? So, by spirit, I don't know how it works, but we'll be able to communicate. In fact, I know it further because I go to, remember the rich man and Lazarus? And I take a look at Lazarus in the intermediate state. And what does Lazarus, he recognizes, he talks, relationships. So I know that there are relationships. I know we know, but I do know this. It's not the final state. It's the intermediate state. My spirit is present with the Lord in paradise, knowing the comfort, the joys and the blessings of it. But my body is still in the grave. Yet God is not through yet. He's going to raise that body. In other words, the same God who made you Body and soul in Adam and put him in a garden to have fellowship with him in the heavens and the earth. That same God is going to erase the curse of sin and he is going to bring you forth body and soul for a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be redeemed, be restored to what God's original declaration was in the garden and the heavens and the earth. In fact, Paul even goes further with this. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Got mixed up there. That's okay. 2 Corinthians is right after 1 Corinthians. I knew I'd find it. Here we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 7. Paul says this, we have, speaking of the gospel and its promises, we have this treasure in jars of clay, that's his body, jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In these jars of clay, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. In other words, as I suffer in this body for Jesus, it opens up doors for me to bring the life of Jesus to others. So I have a treasure in this jar of clay. Look at verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe. So we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Do you see it? How do I know I'm forgiven of my sins? Jesus 
Jesus died for me. How do I know I'll get a resurrected body? Because Jesus was raised. And when he was raised, it was the promise that I would be raised. And therefore be given to him for a new heavens and a new earth. For it is, look at verse 8, uh, verse 8, 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Folks, I mean, diets, go to the gym, uh, nip and tuck, you can do all that stuff. That's okay, but it's going to waste away. Gravity's going to win. Six feet, go, pull your right down, six feet. It's going to win. We're wasting away. We're wasting away our inner, but our inner self is actually being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So why in the world do we give all of our soul to what is perishing instead of what is eternal? What does it profit a man if he gains a whole world that is perishing but loses his soul? I mean, is it gold? Would you sell your soul for all the gold? Well, let me tell you what we do in gold in heaven. We throw it out and walk on it. What we give ourselves to is what lasts. And that is the majesty and glory of our God of grace and glory. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent, our body, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we have a building from God. We're going to get a new body. God's going to raise that body into a new body. And it is a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you all remember what Jesus said? He said what? I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be with me also. I am preparing a body for you. And so he says that we would not. So for in this tent, we groan. Now, young people, students, college, singles, everything. I know you don't believe this yet, but you will groan. I mean, even after you sleep all night, you'll groan when you get up the next morning. We groan being burdened, not that we would be now burdened. We don't want to be unclothed. We don't want to be disembodied, but that we should be further clothed. We need a new body so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God, but the new body that he has prepared for us. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please him. And home is not here. Home is there. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of God. So here is this glorious statement that we look at verse five. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God and who has given us the spirit as our guarantee. I'm forgiven of my sins. Jesus died for me. I have a promised resurrected body because Jesus had one. And I will have everlasting life with him. And that is glory. That is majesty. That is beyond comprehension. And how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. And the spirit of God has been poured out as a guarantee and a seal. God will finish what he has begun. God will finish it. Well, just one other text uh, briefly, and then we'll close. 
First Thessalonians 4. I deeply appreciate your patience, but uh, let me just give you this, and we'll amen it next Sunday. First Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Believers have died. Jesus hasn't come back yet. So they want to know what happened. Here's what he says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe, now watch this, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, when Jesus comes back, who's coming with him? The believers who have died. Their bodies are in the ground, but their spirit is with him. And when he comes, he comes with them. So when he comes, Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. You see what he's saying? First of all, he's not telling you as a Christian, if a loved one who's a believer dies, don't grieve. No, no. He's saying, inform your grief. It's inhuman not to grieve. So we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. He says, so let me inform your hope in Jesus, who died for your sins and is risen. And, And when he comes again, this is what's going to happen. Those who have died and are in the intermediate state are going to come with him. You won't precede them. They're already with him. And then you will not precede him. I think this is exactly what's going to happen. If I'm living when he comes, I'll work, that's fine with me. If I'm living when he comes, not only when he comes, will those who have preceded me come with him, their spirit, perfected, but I will see their bodies brought up out of the sea and the land. And the same God that put Adam together with dust will bring them back. I don't care what worm ate what. I don't care what shark ate what in the, in the sea. It doesn't matter. He will bring it forth by his hand and his power. And the graves will give up the dead. And that will be joined to their spirit then we who are alive will be caught up together with them and placed in a new heavens and a new earth. Now, everybody that is alive when Jesus comes will not go through that door to the intermediate state, but everybody who dies in Jesus, except for three exceptions, will go to the intermediate state of comfort, joy, and the presence in paradise, then to the final state at the resurrection at the second coming of Christ. Who are the three exceptions? Enoch, Elijah, and Moses. Those are the three exceptions. Michael came for the body of Moses, Elijah was taken up, and Enoch walked and was no more. That's why at the Mount of Transfiguration, you see Elijah and Moses already with their glorified bodies. But the rest of us await the second coming of Christ to get our glorified body. And then we will be in the new heavens and the new earth. So let me give you your takeaway and close in prayer. Our Lord, by his atoning death and triumphant resurrection, 
has secured for every believer the incomparable glory of, number one, the forgiveness of our sins, which then brings us to a promised resurrection of the body, which will then be deposited in a new heavens and a new earth with life everlasting. Now watch. What makes it glorious? What makes it glorious is you will be with him. And he will be with you. And we will be together. You'll be with him by sight. You'll be together by his glorious triumph. We will be with him. He will be with us. And we will be together. We will be caught up together to be with the Lord. That's the blessing of glory. Yeah, it's all other blessings. No pain, no sorrow. For I loved what Hunter sang. The, uh, the Lord will light. Oh, it's just its absolutely astonishing what this new heavens and new earth. Can you imagine? Have y'all just the last week, have you stepped out and seen the beauty of everything? It's just been glorious, hasn't it? Just think of the new heavens and the new earth without the shroud and curse of sin. And with our ability to see it clearly. Just think of that. But just think of him. We shall behold him. In all of his glory. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Nor has the heart of man imagined what our Lord has prepared for those who love him. I know those who are headed to heaven. On this side of heaven, they love to worship and they're never satisfied with their worship. They want to worship more. And they want to witness for Christ on the way to heaven. And that evidence is they've been loved by him and they love him and those whom he loves and those who love him. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. I love what Robert Murray McShane said when he said, when I see you, O Lord, as you art, then I will worship you as I ought. You know, Cindy has been teaching Pilgrim's Progress, and so that gives me the chance to go through Pilgrim's Progress again. And she tries it out on me. I think of my own Christian life, the joy early on of knowing the forgiveness of sins, the joy of growing in grace, but all oh, the, the increasing anticipation. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I got a job to do, and I'll do it. And I thank God for the privilege. This is not home at all. I used to get in a car with my dad and mom. And we traveled to Augusta, Georgia to see my grandparents. I love my grandparents. They were only 36 years old, all four of them when I was born. So I almost grew up with them. But I love to go Thanksgiving. And I was like every other kid that got in the car. I would get in the car, and then uh, I would say, <laughs> it didn't take long. 
Are we close? Your kids did that? Then I would get to this one. Daddy, are we there yet? That's what believers start doing. Forgiven of our sins. The anticipation of a resurrected body. And to be with him and one another. Father, are we there yet? How much longer? You know, I sit in this office every day. And on most of those days, people come and talk to me. Trying to make sense of sin. And I always tell them this. Don't try to make sense of sin. Sin is insanity. But I, can't, I cannot tell you how great the insanity is not to come to Jesus. To be forgiven of your sins. To be given a new body. And enjoy Him and one another in a new heavens and a new earth. He so loves you that he gave himself for you so that where I am, there you may be also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our moments together. I thank you that all of yours will be in heaven. And I pray that all are under the sound of my voice this day will all be yours. That by faith and repentance they will have put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. To give themselves fully unto him. Lord, while we're here is for fruitful labor. But to go and be with you is gain. The majesty of the intermediate state of comfort and presence and fellowship. And then the exquisite joy of a new heavens and a new earth. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more ability to sin, no more death, but the light and the presence of the Lord to be with him forever. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.